Uh, hey, guys, make sure that you guys are paying attention tonight because we have another special guest. He's been the same special guest all summer. But <laughs> give it up for Garrett Kaiser, our summer intern, because Garrett, Garrett is going to be bringing the word, and Garrett is awesome, so please give him all of your attention. Make sure you take notes if you take notes, because this dude is on it. He's going to be bringing it. It's going to be awesome. So Garrett, go ahead. Take it away, dude. Thank you. All right, before we get started, I'm super excited, but let's just open in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us all together here tonight. Thank you for all of the fun that we've been able to have over this summer and all of the exciting things that you have in store for all of us as we go into this fall season. I just want to pray a massive blessing over everyone in here, Lord. I just want to pray that we would be open and ready to hear the word that you have for us uh, and that you would be at work in all of our hearts. And I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I have something that I need all of you to imagine. So close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes. It is a Saturday morning. The sun is just rising, the birds are chirping, it's, it's beautiful. And the best part of all is, you're not awake to see it. You got to sleep in today. There's no school or anything. Just soak it in, it's amazing. Wake up, it's time to do chores. Wake up, six o'clock, you've been asleep for long enough. I'm sure that you all were just very happy to spring out of bed and get ready for dusting the living room and cleaning the toilets, right? Like that's just exactly what you wanted at sunrise on a Saturday morning. No? No, it was, was were you thinking something more along the lines of, ugh, mom, five more minutes. Yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds right for me too. And how many of you have maybe done that thing of like, okay, fine, mom, I'll get up. And then you roll over and fall asleep again. <laughs> and, then, and then your mom walks back in and is like, get up. <laughs> and you, you just said that you were about to do it. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's basically all I did throughout my childhood uh, every Saturday. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit. But, you know, I think that... Uh, that's something that we all tend to do maybe a little bit is uh, give our word a little bit flippantly and then roll over and do something that we actually wanted to do but we just didn't want to say we wanted to do. Uh, and you know, I got in trouble for this a bunch, which might surprise you since I'm standing up here all polished with a nice church message. Uh, but no, I was a slob. And, <laughs> and not everybody's perfect. You are so right. And it seems really silly, and it seems like it's something that you might just kind of grow out of. But really, I think that we all live our lives in a way like this, in uh, this kind of not quite full commitment that is just how we do things on an everyday basis. I really think that that's how a lot of people, most of us, all of us really, live our lives. It's really easy to get carried away into these routines of just saying the right things, seeming like you've got it all together, and then when it comes to the actual commitment, maybe a little bit more iffy. But what else do we do in a world and in a society that cares more about us looking good and sounding like we have all of the right things lined up to say than actually a world that cares about us doing things that help our lives and other people's lives be better? What are you supposed to do? And you know, I don't even think that it's something that we mean to do all the time when we don't commit, when we don't follow through with what we say we're supposed to be doing. I think a lot of people have come to me and said things like, I just 
get overwhelmed really easily, I overcommit really easily, or I don't like to say no because I feel like I'm disappointing people, but then you know, you kind of flake out anyway and you end up disappointing them and it's worse, but that's besides the point. Uh, and the really sad thing is people can still get super hurt by that even if it was not something that you intended to be hurtful. And naturally you would maybe think that a bunch of people who actually really seem like they have it together, like Christians who have Jesus and are really religious, like they've got to have it, right? Nope. <laughs> nope. And so there's actually a pretty interesting meme that I saw the other day, pretty spicy meme that I thought captured this pretty well. When, you know, we come face to face with Jesus, this God guy uh, who seems like, you know, just in a couple weeks ago sermon, we were talking about how he doesn't want us to present a false face before him. There's no mean. That's like, oh, there it is. Amazing. Uh, but I think what's really interesting is it extends more than just beyond, like, you know, seeming like we're just all tidy. Actually, scripture tells us something really interesting about how even when we actually go and pray and worship, something about our hearts can be in that wrong spot, in that spot of wanting to appear in a different way than actually having a heart before God. And so let's take a look at this really crazy story of Jesus that we find in Matthew chapter 21, where he causes this big stir among the most religious of the religious people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these people who seem like they've got all the power, they've got all the success, they've got it all together. Uh, Essentially what's going on in the story that we're about to look at is Jesus is going into Jerusalem for this festival called the Passover. If you know anything about the Passover, this is the big deal in Israel. This is it. This is like all of the food that you could ever want to eat, uh, kosher of course, and all of the people are gathering together. I remember when we used to do that. And just all of this worship going on constantly through this awesome week of partying for God. Like what could be much better? Well, actually, Jesus has a lot, of on, a lot of things on his plate as he's entering into this time. Uh, he actually knows that at the end of this week, he is going to die. And let's see what he does knowing this information. Uh, in Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 14, it says, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him and he healed them in the temple. So let's unpack this. A couple big things are going down as Jesus is here in Jerusalem. So first of all, you know, Jesus is driving out these money changers, these vendors, and then he's teaching the people who are all gathered around from scripture, from the words of the prophets in ancient Israel. And then he heals people, which obviously this seems like a pretty aggressive move for someone who, if he was anything like me, might want to keep his head down and not end up getting killed. It doesn't quite seem normal for me to go around knocking over people's tables and making a lot of people really upset. Uh, but that's not what Jesus ended up doing. Uh, the Messiah, he doesn't back down from his kingly authority in this fear, in this need of seeming like everything is fine on the surface. Really, the temple he knows is that this amazing place, his place, a place of worship for his father. And he knew perfectly well the power that he had over all of it. 
And so when he marched into the temple that day, he was actually making a pretty powerful political statement of, I have the authority to do what I want in this place, to do what I see is right. And I mean, it seems kind of confusing at first. Why on earth would Jesus choose to do this when he is this king that's supposed to come in glory and peace and save all of the people? Because I think a lot of us wonder why when we think about Jesus as this perfectly compassionate and gentle man, which he was, he absolutely was that. But it's actually the care for people that he had which drove him to do this kind of wild seeming rampage. Let me explain. In the Jerusalem temple, there's a couple of courts. You've got this outer court that's for all of the nations, all of the non-Jewish people. And then you've got this further inward court, which is for all the Jewish men and women. And then furthest inward, you have the Jewish men only. So all of these vendors were setting up right in the court that was supposed to be designed for all of the people who wanted to worship God. And you have these oppressive people, the rulers of Israel at the time, who had all of this money and this power, but they were using it to try to make more money off of people. Specifically, the story tells us about these dove sacrifices, and if you look back in the Old Testament, that's the sacrifice that poor people are supposed to be able to bring when they can't afford anything. So we learn that all of these already wealthy and powerful Jews were extorting people who were coming to seek to worship God, and Jesus is ticked. Uh, Especially if you guys haven't learned this lesson yet, take it to heart. If you do something to really, really upset that person who never gets angry, you should run away. It's surprising and it's terrifying. And I think we would actually be a lot less surprised if we were able to understand who Jesus was and see the situation through his eyes. You see, when he's entering into Jerusalem for this amazing Passover, Passover is supposed to be the celebration of when God rescued all of his people from Egypt, from when they were oppressed. And so Jesus is coming in, and he's seeing all of them doing exactly the same things. I'm sure that made him very happy. No, it did not make him very happy. This was after he already rode into the city on a donkey, which in the Old Testament scripture is this powerful symbol of this king who's supposed to bring peace to the land uh, and bring freedom to the people who are suffering. So, he goes through the city, all of these people are worshiping, and it seems like everything's building up to this really great moment where things are going to be awesome, and Jesus is going to say, like, this is how we make things great again, this is how we be free. And that's not what happens at all, because he walks into the temple, and he sees his own people being oppressed, being shackled by other members of his own people, his own tribe. The outer courtyard people are buying and selling, restricting all of these people from nations, which most of you would be considered in that non-Jewish part. So these people would stop you from worshiping God. They would get in your way. They would charge you a lot of money. And so because Jesus is so filled with love, he's so upset to see it. And I almost laugh at the bitter irony that's going on here because Jesus is not the person who a lot of people would think is like the ideal person to be making this statement. You see, Jesus throughout his life, he had the circumstances of his birth questioned. People thought he was an illegitimate child at times. Uh, Jesus lived in Galilee, and that was kind of like, uh, nobody comes from Galilee, that's good. He's never going to amount to anything. He never had any formal education. He wasn't thought to have any priestly lineage. And, you know, he didn't even have a place to consistently sleep at night. So this kind of rough around the edges man walked into the home court of all of these wealthy, powerful people who seemed like they had it together, who seemed like they had it right with God, and he's like, y'all are a den of thieves. Y'all are robbers before God. Like, how crazy must that have seemed? And more than that, 
Jesus kind of rampaged and then he was done. Like it wasn't some prolonged statement that he was making, it was quick. Because if it had been something that had been going on for a long time, he probably would have been arrested. There's something that tells us that Jesus has a bigger concern than just making a scene here. And Matthew even tells us in verse 14 that it's because he follows this up by immediately healing all of the people in the temple. And when you unpack this even further, you realize that people who weren't uh, able to see, people who had specific kinds of wounds and illnesses, they weren't allowed into those inner courts even though they were Jewish people. And so Jesus, son of God, Jewish man, totally could have waltzed into that third and inmost chamber of the Jerusalem temple, and nobody would call him on it. He chose to stay outside with all of the outcasts because he said, that's where my heart is. Now, this was in addition to the fact that Jesus already knew that his enemies were gathering and waiting for him to have an opportunity to get arrested, to get killed. So this is a pretty bold play in a number of ways. He's making a challenge. And in fact, when Jesus made this stand against injustice, scripture tells us that this is the exact moment in time when all of the Jewish leaders started to con uh, conceive of a plot to kill him. That was the moment when he came into their place, what they thought was their place, and said, this is wrong. In a time when Jesus really could have easily excused himself from what was going on, worshiped and prayed, and seemed like he had all of his righteousness lined up, he said, that's actually not what I'm more interested in. He was always, always more interested in being passionate about God's people. He was choosing what was really more important to God. It wasn't just the praying and the fasting and the celebrating that was going on. Yes, that was a great thing that God did, but he said, the people are always what it's about to me. So the point is really profound and really critical, I think, for all of you to get. Because, like me, we don't really have much in the way of worldly status. We're all young. Lots of us come from backgrounds that might not seem all that different than Jesus's. Sure, we're not the son of God, but a lot of people didn't really think that that was him at the time either. And I'm gonna let you in on a little secret that Jesus actually tells all of us, your time is coming. Your time is here. Your time to make a stand and to make a statement out of your lives, it's already arrived. You see, I was in your spot just a couple of years ago. I'm only 20 years old. I'm not that much older than you. And I was thinking, I'm young. How am I supposed to do something that's really significant? I should just keep my head down and do the things that everybody is telling me are the right things to do, keep my own life in order. But it's not the voice of God that's telling you that you're inadequate to do this great work. Because 2,000 years ago, this Jewish rabbi who we call Jesus, who was rough around the edges, put all of the trained and qualified men to shame. And then, when it seemed like they finally got back at him, when it seemed like he was put to a shameful death on the cross, that was actually the moment when he had the greatest victory of all time. He promised that when this happened, he would rebuild the temple in three days. And all of these wealthy and powerful people were like, what the heck, this temple took 70 years to build, you're crazy. But he fulfilled that promise when he rose from the dead three days later. Because for all of those people who declared that he was the Lord, the Holy Spirit went and lived in them. They are the temple of God. And it was a reminder that God always cared about being present with his people more than he cared about the ritual, more than he cared about the fancy building. That was never, ever what God wanted. He wanted you, he wanted me, 
He wanted us to be with him, and he wanted us to open up the gate to help other people move in, to remove those barriers, to remove those life hardships so that people could see his goodness so clearly. That's something that the powerful and wealthy in Jesus' day never had the opportunity to understand. They never opened themselves up to that. But because we know that what Jesus did on the cross is a free gift that we get to accept, that we can't earn, we're able to look at the situation totally differently and say, it's not about the success that I can earn, the life that I can build. All that matters is that I am on Jesus' side. That's the only thing I care about. So when we choose to step up for the people who are oppressed, who are pushed aside, when we choose to stay with them, even if we have the privilege to go and look somewhere else, to be comfortable and to seem like we're still doing all the right things, even when all of that is still there, when we choose to step aside and be with those vulnerable, with the orphan, the widow, that's when we enter into the journey of Jesus. We enter into his life that he's made available for us. This life of seeking solidarity and justice is not a glamorous one. Look at what happened to Jesus. Not a fun time. But what we do know is that we get the chance offered to all of us to be on the winning side. And I don't mean that we can save ourselves with our own efforts, that if, you know, you break three oppressive systems in one day, then you'll get to go to heaven. That's not what this is about. What this is about is that we get to say that our loyalty is with the God, the God who sees and loves the orphan, the immigrant, the prisoner, the people whose society never has cared about right. That's our chance to be with them and to be with him. So really, it doesn't matter what size of a thing that you accomplish in the pursuit of this just godly life. It doesn't matter whether it's just saying, hey, that was actually a little bit racist. You shouldn't say that. Or, you know, throwing a Jesus-style massive protest. Or anywhere in between. The important thing is always, and it always will be, that our graves will be empty at the end of the day because Jesus' grave was empty. And we say, I'm with him. So will you all join with me in prayer as we close out tonight? Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to say, God, I'm on your side. I want what you want for people. I want what you want for the world. We want your kingdom to come. We want things to be set right. And I just pray that every single day we would have the power by your Holy Spirit to loose the chains of the oppressed, to make a statement out of our lives, even when people tell us that we're not qualified, that we're not worthy. Thank you so much for opening the way for us to say, no, but Jesus is. You are God. Thank you so much for that chance. And I just pray that bondage would break over people even in this room and that we would be liberated to go spread the good news to other people to go bring the challenge of a spirit-filled life to a world that so desperately needs it. I thank you so much for all of these people, and I'm going to miss them so much, God. I just pray that you would keep working in them long after I have left. pray all of these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you all so much. I'm going to miss you.